welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, and I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and passionate about helping more women to understand and accept their amazing ADHD brains. After speaking to many women just like me, and probably you, I know there is a need for more health and lifestyle support for women newly diagnosed with ADHD. In these conversations, you'll learn from insightful guests, hear new findings, and discover powerful perspectives and lifestyle tools to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm, and purposeful life wherever you are on your ADHD journey. Here's today's episode. So hi everyone, welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, I'm your host as always. And today I have Mamina Salim. And Mamina is based in Dubai and she is a functional medicine health coach specializing in ADHD and kids. And we are going to be talking all about ADHD and kids, a more natural approach, but also how we as the parents can help ourselves where we're also helping our kids. Because I know there's a lot of um, women, parents that listen to this podcast who are being diagnosed alongside their children and they're navigating their diagnosis alongside, you know, supporting and helping their children to thrive as well. And it's very tiring, exhausting, overwhelming. I'm one of them. So I'm just delighted to have you on, Mamina. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So we were just talking um, just before we started recording, just really why you went into this field of, I guess, first of all, the functional medicine side, but also then very specifically with ADHD. Can you give us a little bit of a background as to what led you in this direction and especially sort of the more functional medicine side, which some people may or may not be familiar with? Yeah, so I've always worked in health. Um, you know, my initial degree is in public health. So I've always worked with mothers and children, um, you know, specifically with newborns and, and infants. And so that's just kind of been the area that I've really been drawn towards. Um, but what got me into functional medicine was really my own journey. Like a lot of practitioners, I got really sick. I had, for a few years, I had debilitating headaches and migraines and vertigo and um, I had at least three to five different diagnoses from chronic fatigue to fibromyalgia, like you name it, they just slapped on some kind of diagnosis. I'd had, I'd been on all kinds of medication as well, which did not work. It actually backfired and made me sicker. And then just to manage that, they were like, you know, give me another truckload of medication just to manage those symptoms. And so I was really in this place of desperation. I had um, a, an eight month old that I had to take care of. And it was just, it was overwhelming. It was, you know, I was depressed and I just wanted to find a way out. And functional medicine was the answer. I stumbled across resources. You know, when you are just at your wit's end and you don't have answers, you try to be your own investigator. And that's really what I did. I started researching and trying to find out resources of what could help me. And that just kind of let me down a very like basic way of, of restructuring what I ate. You know, I got off gluten and dairy and I realized that I had severe sensitivities to those. And literally within days, um, I had, if I, and I keep telling everybody, it was like as if a dark cloud had receded and I just saw everything in like HD definition, right? Everything was so clear. And it was just, it was, it was shocking, right? It, what was it in these two foods that really changed the way how I felt completely? And that just, you know, it 
got me so curious because I was always in research. So I just kept going back and, and checking what that was. I got myself then when I realized it was functional medicine, I went and I got myself certified as functional medicine health coach. But then, you know, I was like, who do I want to work with? Which area do I want to really help? Like who, kids, adults. And I always just come back to children. I love, love, love working with children. There's just so much energy that they have and they respond so well. And so I went and I got um, a deeper understanding and another certification, which helped me understand children specifically. It's a completely different area in helping children as opposed to adults. And so, and then really looking into chronic disease. And right now what we're seeing, there's this whole epidemic of autism, ADHD, these, you know, these conditions that our children are going through, the numbers are going through the roof. We're having more and more kids getting diagnosed, more and more parents who are starting to see that, you know, their kids are getting affected, whether they are getting those diagnoses or not, they're seeing those behaviors in their children. And so I just, I felt like I wanted to niche down into a particular area and then working in ADHD was just that. Um, there was some, you know, I have people in my family who've had ADHD and that kind of also inspired me in trying to help them and seeing their struggles. And so I felt like I understood what those parents and those children were going through. And so, yeah, that that's just kind of a long story of how I came to working with children with ADHD. Yeah. So I know that so many parents, you know, listen to this and right here in the UK, the waiting times are off the scale um, to be seen by, you know, the NHS, even now to be seen by a private doctor in the UK, there's long wait waiting times. And so we are in a place where, you know, whether we've choose to go down the medication route or not, it feels very disempowering because we don't have many tools at our disposal. So as parents, I want to feel empowered. I know that other parents want to feel empowered and know what they can do, what is within their control, what they're able to take action tomorrow. You know, they may probably know that their kids have got ADHD, but they need that formal um, diagnosis so they can get the help education wise. It just feels ridiculous. But if we as parents want to just kind of take the bull by the horns and just be like, right, tomorrow things are changing. What can they do? What is a parent that is within our capabilities tomorrow to make a change to help our children? You know, I really love that, um, that way of thinking, because that's something I always advocate. And just to preface all of this, I think the most important thing is to do it as a family. And so you do it not just as the child who has um, those symptoms, mm. but the whole family coming together. And it kind of addresses this whole idea, like you said at the onset of having parents who are parenting, so parents with maybe with ADHD, parenting kids with ADHD, is that when you're working with those towards improving your child's symptoms, you're also basically helping yourself. And I think the best place to start is with your diet, right? Um, looking at what you're eating as a family, you know, trying to focus more on just the basics. So start off with trying to eat more whole nutrient-dense foods. We have, as a society, moved towards so much packaged and processed food that we've kind of lost sight of eating just basic nutrient-dense foods. And so I think the best step, first step is just to stop and take stock of the kind of meals your family is eating. And then it depends on the kind of personality you are. Take one meal at a time, right? So whether it's breakfast or lunch or dinner, start 
with one meal and say, okay, this week we're going to try to eat a very nutrient-dense breakfast, for example, right? So instead of having breakfast cereal every single day, you want to try to say, okay, you know, I don't want to shock my whole family by just taking away the one meal that they're all happy to eat. I want to maybe augment that with, with some eggs maybe. So while they're having their cereal, we'll augment that with some eggs if they can't tolerate eggs or give them, um, you know, other protein-dense meals. So starting somewhere at, at one particular meal and then making small changes that you can add on to, right, so that it's more doable rather than just saying, okay, right, this week we're just going to chuck all the sugar out, all the processed food's gone, um, we're going to just go gluten-free and dairy-free and soy-free and, you know, we're just going to go jump right in. And for some people, that's doable. But for most people that at least that I work with, especially with children, it's not so easy, right? You want to ease them in because you don't want to create an increased amount of anxiety because what kids eat, especially with with our kiddos with ADHD or with symptoms of ADHD, there is this underlying element of, of anxiety. And so you don't want to rock that boat so much that a mealtime is causing anxiety where they don't feel like they have any safe foods on the table. So I always like, instead of to take everything away, to start with augmentation. So start with adding on and offering in an additional food and taking away over time foods that, that might be causing inflammation in their body. And so that's really step number two is you first start off with you know adding nutrient-dense foods and then looking at foods that might be causing inflammation in their body. So going gluten-free and dairy-free. Again, not at the same time, right? You pick one and and you kind of make that process. And you start off with maybe a snack. You maybe start off with lunch. You maybe start off with breakfast, right? You pick whichever meal is the easiest to, to transition for your child. If it's easier at dinner time to provide uh, a gluten-free option, you know, you can give rice. You can find so many alternatives now in the market for gluten-free pasta or spaghetti and things like that. You can sub out, right? Um, for those kids that are extremely selective with what they eat or who eat, you know, certain brands or types of food as well, I always say take them, you know, slow down the process even more, right? If you're giving them pasta, go half and half. And I literally, I had to do that with my son as well because I was always I was so scared that he will just refuse eating completely. And so what I started doing was going 50-50 with like gluten-free and regular pasta. And then after three or four days, I took it down to 75% gluten-free, 25% regular. And then like after a week or 10 days when I realized that he was more, um, you know, he was safer, like it was okay, he was accepting it more, I went to 100%. And then, you know, transitioning from like maybe that pasta into a spaghetti. So, you know, moved on to another gluten-free food. But it really depends on your child, your home, um, and doing it together, right? I yeah. think that that is the most important thing. I think, I mean, that's brilliant advice. And and I think with our tendency with this all or nothing thinking that we do everything and it's got to be like perfect. And if it's not, we just like give up straight away. And that just kind of like feeds into this all, you know, failure and like, why can't I just see things through? But what you're saying is like very small stackable habits, very small behavior changes are easy to manage, easy to tweak. And and I love that what you're sort of saying is like that very slow mix of the gluten, because I've tried that with the pasta. And I went all or nothing. And I just went, right, 
I'm going to just try the gluten-free. And all my kids went, I don't like this pasta. What is it? And I was like, right, that's it. I can never do gluten-free ever again. And I would love to try to be more gluten-free in the house and just start buying more gluten-free biscuits and bread. And they're all very discerning. My children, they notice everything because like you say, we buy the same brands, we eat the same bread. And it's just good to know that actually it's not like a, a one size fits all. It's not a rule. And it's okay to kind of try one thing and not try another thing. And again, you know, the anxiety, we're prone to the overwhelm, we're prone to the anxiety, we're prone to the, like, you know, the all or nothing, the big picture. And if, if something doesn't work, then it's just like, I can't do it. So I think what you're saying is very manageable and very helpful. So thank you for that. I guess what what other navigations can we can we do without putting a huge amount of pressure and overwhelm on ourselves? That's probably the first question I get asked by any families that I'm, I'm onboarding is, do you have any recipes? Do you have any meal plan ideas? Do you have any, any um, you know, just like a cookbook or something that we can access? And it's just because of this whole idea of making these changes and, and sticking with them. And especially like the, you know, your, your listeners are struggling with this overwhelm as well. It's hard for them to first adapt to this change and then to make it consistent, right? And to do it predictably all the time. Um, the best thing that I like to give advice is to start by, to start slowly and to start caching recipes that work for your family, right? First, look at what your family eats and then try to find a way to make that work within your dietary restrictions. So if your kids like spaghetti meatballs, right, then try to find a way to make that gluten-free first and then stick with that recipe and then keeping a log of it, right? So one of the things that prevents overwhelm is to be organized. Um, so maybe taking some time out once a week to get those ideas down of what kind of meals you can have, right? Making shopping lists and and shop accordingly. Um, one of the things that is the hardest for, even, even for parents with ADHD, is going from the point of planning to buying the groceries to getting them stored up, stocked up, and then converting into a meal. You have to realize there's so many steps involved in those things, which for parents as well, it's really hard. And so it's about creating a pattern and creating a system that works for the family. So if you have a spouse that does not have ADHD, leaning on them a little bit more for, for direction, leaning on them more for helping with the planning and guiding and just doing it together because you don't have to do it alone, right? That's one of the things that is so important is teamwork is essential in making that whole thing. So just that first step of planning and getting things together if you can do that as a team, I think that really helps. And then just being organized. I think that really helps with parents um, who themselves are struggling with ADHD is just to make sure that you have everything organized and you have a lot of visual cues that remind you. So maybe on the kitchen, on your fridge, you've got your whole menu written out. You've got your shopping list written out there. And then there's there's a reminder on the way out, like by the front door, there's another log or reminder that tells you exactly what you need to do, right? And so that kind of helps just take away the overwhelm of the first step of getting that food 
into your house and planning for what meals they are. And then once you have those meals planned, it's just going into a prep stage of if you can take out some time to prep ahead of time, that again takes away a lot of the overwhelm at that particular meal time. But if you're someone who likes to cook right at dinner time every day, then just trying to make sure that you have that scheduled in. And what I've seen that helps a lot of children as well as parents who have ADHD is following a schedule and making sure that you have those visual cues in front of you so that, you know, at 5 p.m. Monday night, you look at your schedule and it says it's time to make dinner. And on, your, on that schedule, it says what you're making and where that recipe is. So it takes away that whole struggle of at 5 p.m., what am I going to make? And then just like trying to find, rack your brain or go through your phone or go through your Instagram or wherever you log all of your, your recipes and try to say, where was that? Like, I can't remember. And then halfway through scrolling through your phone, you forget and you start like going through your friend's Instagram. And these are real things, right? I mean, we all kind of go through that. And so it's just trying to help yourself achieve those goals. Um, and then when you know that you have those kinds of nutrient-dense meals available and planned and prepped and you've got the recipe right there, it's setting yourself up for success because the whole family yeah. is going to eat a meal that is better for them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm listening to you thinking I need to do much more of this. But at the same time, you know, we're talking about being organized and we're talking about the our executive functioning and it can comes in and it does sabotage things a little bit. And, and I love that idea of having the visual cues, you know, having your meal plan on the fridge. Again, that's kind of like opposite to an ADHD brain sometimes, though, because being ahead of schedule and planning and having a routine, you know, sometimes we like to just kind of like not know what we're going to have for dinner, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but I see how much it helps, you know, especially if you're yeah. working and you've got kids and you don't want to just kind of throw another ready meal in the, in the oven. You want to kind of provide nutrient dense food. There is a system that has to be, you know, looked at. And I'm in my head, I'm now thinking, you know, I've got four kids and, most of them have their own dietary, you know, and I would say most nights there's probably three meals going on in some variety. Like one doesn't eat that vegetable, one eats this, one doesn't eat fish, one only eats that type of meat. And it's exhausting. And I work from home, you know, if I didn't work from home, I can't even imagine my, my kids probably would eat a lot more pizza and they'd eat a lot more pasta. But even that, I'm like, you know, I need to remember to go and get fish. I need to remember to get meat. So we are, I just feel very much that we are in a society where it, it almost goes against us to be able to feed our kids healthy food, especially with the economic climate right now, where every pound is, you know, being spoken for or every dollar or whatever, you know, currency. It's just, it's very difficult. So I just want to recognize that and just send everyone, you know, compassion because I understand it. And I know what a lot of people are going through to, to add the extra pressure that we put on ourselves is, is really hard. I'm delighted to say I have a new podcast sponsor, Loop Earplugs. And if you're anything like me who has noise sensitivity while trying to concentrate or can hear most low-level noises such as a clock ticking or fridge whirring, it can really stir up our sensory overload. 
The loop earplugs allow you to tune out from this outside noise, especially if your sensory input is very sensitive. Sometimes I need to block out anything from my hearing to help me focus, relax or sleep. And from the age of about 10 or 11, I've always used earplugs at night just to be able to calm this ongoing noise inside my head and prevent me from picking up on the slightest external noise. With earplugs, it feels like my brain is just quieter and my nervous system can rest. It's actually quite hard to describe it as anything else. This less outside stimulus helps my brain to relax. And the loop quiet earplugs are especially effective in helping me find some calm when there's a lot of noise in my environment. So if you're a commuter and you find the sensory overload on a train or a plane or a bus overstimulating, or in the office perhaps, you're there every day and you just need something discreet that doesn't stand out, then the Loop earplugs are fantastic for this. I also really like the Loop Focus because they just help me turn down some of that background noise to help me focus, kind of like a ritual that I know when my, when my Loop earplugs go in, my brain goes into concentration mode. And the Loop earplugs are designed to make all sounds less intense so we can hear what's happening around us, but allows us to process the sensory inputs at pace our brain prefers without reacting to every little noise. The earplugs look super cool and are very subtle. They come in great colours and are easy to clean. And most importantly, they come in lots of different interchangeable sizes. So you'll always find a size that fits comfortably for you. I love these Loop earplugs so much. I've asked for a discount for you all. And so here it is. It's Loop XWW for 15% off. So you need to head to loopearplugs.com, enter the code LOOPXWW and you'll get 15% off. I'll also put all the details in the show notes so you can just click straight through. Now back to today's episode. The very first thing we need to stop doing is labeling food as good and bad. And so... Mm. Even if it's pizza, we're still feeding our child and they're still getting food. And so there are days when they're going to eat pizza and that's okay. And there are days I, I rely on pizza for, for my family. But what I've done instead is that I still want it to be really fast. And, and the way that I do that is that I've kind of figured out what works. And so getting gluten-free pita bread, throw in some tomato sauce, Maybe if I have some protein, I'll throw that in, throw in some broccoli, you know, throw in some cheese on top and call it a day. It's still pizza. But I feel okay because I know that there's been a protein and there's been a vegetable if, and if that, right? We need to take the pressure off of ourselves of like this all or nothing like you said earlier. It's okay, right? If, they're, if overall we're trying to feed them a, a very nutrient-dense food, one or two meals here and there is, is not a bad thing. And, and one of the things that I wanted to kind of highlight was the fact that for a lot of parents who have ADHD, this is also a muscle that they're flexing, right? And so it's okay. You know, if Monday and Tuesday, they eat the best meal and the, by Wednesday and Thursday, you just can't get yourself to do it. It's okay because you're getting there, right? And it's not about, the idea is to keep trying and not to just give up to say, you know, oh, I can't do this or, you know, my child is not benefiting from this. It's about, about trying every, every week, week in, week out saying, okay, I'm going to try to do the best that I can. And the best thing is that these parents understand what their child is going through. And so that child who is also struggling week in, week out, they're also trying their best. So as a family, you're just trying to do the best that you can and growing bit by bit. You know, The more you exercise that muscle, the 
the more it becomes something that you do as a family, right? When we look at how organization and planning is such an intrinsic part of, of executive function, like you mentioned, just by practicing week in and week out, we become more and more um, in tuned to using those strategies. It's about practice. And so when a lot of our children, they go for therapy, that's really what they're teaching them is getting them more and more used to using those strategies, using scheduling and practice and, and you know, just getting them on that. And so it's the same thing for us parents, right? We just need to practice. We need to, to go easy on ourselves as well. We're in the same boat where a lot of times we're just figuring out after so many years that we have what our child has. And so we're pretty much in the same boat of developmentally just helping ourselves, like, you know, just developing these coping mechanisms. And so just go easy on yourself. Take it week by week and just try the best that you can. It will get better. There will be weeks where every single day you might, you know, stick to plan. But then there might be some weeks where you're not. And so that's where the idea is to nourish our kids' bodies so that they're able to withstand that. Because this is real life, right? They're not just going to eat you know, these like huge um, bowls of vegetables at every single meal for the rest of their life, they will be exposed to food that might be inflammatory. And that's what we're trying to do. That 80% of the time we're trying to feed their body nutrients that can help withstand the inflammatory foods the other 20% of the time. Yeah, I, li I like that a lot because it is, it's especially kids, like like you say, they're not going to go, oh, please can I have a big, huge bowl of vegetables. You know, I have this tendency to make soup and my kids go, what soup is it? And I just go, it's nice soup. And they go, well, I want to know what's in the soup. And I just kind of like, you know, sometimes I just throw in loads of vegetables and I just think, right, the only vegetable they really like in the soup is carrot. So I go carrot and they look at it and it's like kind of green and it's got like speckles in. And I know there's like leek and courgette and broccoli. In there. Everything. <laughs> they sniff it out. Like these kids are yeah. like the highly highly aware of, of what we're trying to do so it's kind of also recognizing that it is a bit of a rite of passage that kids are going to be more likely to want to choose the fast food the sugary food the fizzy food and also recognize that there's only so much control that we can have on this and sometimes when we go over the top like we we push it too much it can go the other way and so it is that fine line of being aware and doing you know listening to people like you and and you know it's amazing all the you know the fantastic knowledge that you have and the wisdom but also kind of like going easy on on ourselves and our kids and hope that as they get older they will notice themselves so interestingly my daughter um, came back from a birthday party yesterday and there was loads of sweets loads of chocolate then she had birthday cake and she's highly sensitive to everything that she eats when I feed her well, when I give her something like really good, like full of protein and nuts and yogurt and all things like that, like I see like how she thrives. It's so immediate. Like she is the most sensitive out of all my kids. But then on the flip side, she'll have the sweets, the chocolate, the, you know, the juice, all of that. And her behavior just goes off the wall. And yesterday she, we were talking and she just said, I actually don't really like sweets. And I said, why? She goes, I don't like how they make me feel. But as a kid, you know, she knows that she wants to eat sweets with her friends and she knows that's kind of like a child thing to do. So she still kind of wants the sweets, but knows. So 
I'm hoping that as she gets older, she'll be like, okay, you know what? Like I've done the sweet thing. <laughs> I don't like how they make me feel. And I'm going to, you know, try and work it out on my own. So would you say that a lot of the time that when you're working with families, it's imparting them with the wisdom and the knowledge that you have and then allowing them to, you know, empowering them with making the decisions and the choices that are right for them and their kids. And hopefully, you know, what we want is kids who are going to be resilient and who are going to want to take control of themselves. And we're not going to have this codependent relationship of a mum or a dad still, you know, telling the 18 year old, 20 year old that you need to be eating that, don't eat this because we want, you know, a, a self-responsibility, um, you know, in our kids as, as early as possible. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I really like to work on with parents, and this goes on quite early on, is just talking about food and how food makes them feel. And you will be surprised that even kids who are five and six years old, the kind of feedback that they will give you and how they feel when they eat something um, is pretty amazing, especially when it's sugar. It's because their their taste buds go towards more sweet, sugary food. It's just the way how it is. It hasn't adapted to be more complex as, as us adults are. And so they're willing and wanting more and more of that, right? It's just kind of how they gravitate towards that. But about starting this conversation with them earlier on of how their body's being nourished um, and, and allowing them to kind of connect back to the cues because kids understand their body cues better than adults. We have over time taught ourselves not to listen. Kids will know when to stop, right, when, when they've had too much. It's just as they get older, they intrinsically, like the way that our society and the cues that we're getting from it is that, you know, you can hush and just keep eating as much as you want. Try to feed a two or three-year-old like a ton of sugar. They will eat a little bit and then they're just going to walk away and go and start playing in a corner. You know, at least most of them would do that, right? And so it's about creating these conversations at home, whether it's at the dinner table or it's like, you know, when you're just going around and walking and talking and connecting with your child about how their body feels. Initially, it might sound like they're not listening. It's not connecting. It's not really seeping in, but it does. It works. Over time, I've seen that with parents. I've seen that with my own child, that they do. It does work. It does listen. It does seep in because eventually they'll come back to you and say, like your daughter, that, you know, I don't like how it feels. It's giving them that that everything that you do has a reaction. And so the food that you're putting into your body also makes you feel a certain way. And that is where that independence and that, you know, just being more responsible for what you're eating, what it's doing is going to give them over time. When you see a lot of kids who have celiac, for example, um, they know they can't eat gluten, right? And earlier on, when they're even quite young, they know that they cannot eat anything with gluten in it or that has any cross-contamination. It's because they see physically what it does to their body. And so they, they know that. They have that, like, that direct connection. And so that's kind of what we're teaching our kids, but in a less severe way, where what you're eating has an impact on how you feel and, and how your body functions and operates. And it's through education. You know, when you show them vegetables and you tell them what green color does and what the fruits and the nutrients that come from those things as opposed to sugar, that education process over time will allow them to make better decisions, right? There will be times when they're still going to go and want to eat the, the 
treats and things that their friends are eating. But more often than not, that education will teach them better, you know, better choices, to make better choices. And it's really going back to that. So one is just like listening into the cues of your body, but then secondly, also that education of what this food does for you, right? Why is there such an important, um, why is mommy taking away cereal from breakfast and why is she replacing it with, you know, protein? And it's because the protein is helping your brain because your brain has been hungry all night. So we're giving it nutrient-dense food, which is protein and fats early in the morning and complex carbs. So while you make those changes, don't think that your child um, is just like a passive receiver of that food. But if you augment that with education, that really helps. And I think that working with people that understand what these things are, that educate you as parents, and then you take that education forward to your child, it's just, it's something that lasts them a lot longer than just saying, okay, no, I said you can't have sugar, so you can't have sugar anymore. And it's not cut and dry. Education just takes yeah. you so much further. Yeah. I think with I was just listening to you then and it kind of occurred to me that the model of functional um, medicine is like a 360 approach, isn't it? It's kind of like really looking at everything um, from, you know, in lifestyle, whether it's stress and sleep and food and movement. And I think with ADHD, we in a way are lucky. I know a lot of people might think that's that's strange, but we have a very much more sensitive radar to everything lifestyle wise. And so, you know, when we sleep enough, our ADHD, it feels better. When we move our body, it feels better. And when we eat well, it feels better. And so, yes, when we don't know it's ADHD, it's a real, you know, thorn in our side. It's like a ch like a ball and chain that we just can't remove. But when we have the awareness, it's like, okay, Yes, it's harder work in the short term because I need to kind of make some changes. But actually to have this radar system that is telling us what's off all the time, telling us that we're up on our phones all night and we're not getting enough sleep, we're going to feel the effects. When we're eating, um, you know, we're not eating the right nutrients and enough protein, our brain, we really feel it. So in a way, functional medicine and ADHD go really, really well together because we are able to make lots of changes in our lifestyle and we can see the impact I'm not saying medication can't come under this because I do believe that the medication can help with lots of other things but if we're supporting our lifestyle as a whole alongside of that it really is it's a game changer I mean before we finish what would you say from a functional medicine perspective is also very helpful you know nutrition aside what else do you recommend for for your um, clients yeah, so you, you kind of talked about some of those things and there really are, like we talk about it just being a whole base and platform that we want to build it on is sleep, right? Making sure our kids are getting enough sleep. But then when we're looking at sleep, we're making sure it's good restorative sleep, right? It's not just if we say that our child is sleeping for 10 hours, that they're going to be extremely rest, you know, it's going to be restful sleep. Maybe not, right? Looking into the fact that are our children mouth breathers? Are they snoring? Are they tossing and turning a lot at night, right? Looking at those kinds of things to make sure that sleep is not um, a concern. Just getting enough hours is not the only thing, but we need quality sleep. So that's one huge piece of, um, of this whole ADHD puzzle that we're trying to figure out. Another thing is physical activity. And one of the things is that the ADHD brain is always trying to seek more and more dopamine. 
And so, you know, for a child who is hyperactive, it's because their their body's moving constantly to get more dopamine. A child who's always um, binge eating, right? It's probably because their body is seeking dopamine through that. Um, and so what we're trying to do is we're trying to make sure that there's a steady habit of physical activity um, that is then helping them with with regulating the dopamine levels in their body. And so it basically, it's like a feedback loop, right? Making sure, making um, physical activity a priority is extremely, extremely helpful with um, just the adult or the child ADHD brain. And then stress and family connections, right? So making sure, and that one is a difficult one, right? If there's a child who's going to school and who's not fitting in, it is intrinsically going to be increasing their stress. And so is in, it's about providing them with resources, providing them with ways to handle that stress. And so whether it's through giving them, you know, deep breathing and, and relaxation techniques earlier on and teaching them how to do that. Or um, like I tell a lot of parents, right, for kids who are very restless in class, try to find a way that they can sit in their, um, you know, on their chairs and at, uh, at their desks in school um, in, in a very supportive way. So whether it's through a weighted blanket, whether you, if you're just trying to add, give them uh, just like putting bands around the, the bottoms of their chairs, finding a way to reduce that stress. Um, and then providing a very enable environment at home, right? Yes, they're coming back just as hyper at home or they're just as impulsive at home or they might have um, periods of time when they're extremely aggressive at home. But by providing them with a calm, a peaceful home where a parent understands what they're going through really, really, really helps with reducing that stress because while their stress levels are maybe at, at an all-time high in school, it allows them to come home and relax and bring those high cortisol levels down, right? When that child is in, in a state of high cortisol, high stress all day, whether it's at school, if it's at home, it's a, whether it's out at the playground, they just don't get a chance to calm down, right? And then we expect them at the end of the day just to like shut off and go off to sleep the moment we put them in bed, that's not possible because they're still in that state of fight and flight all the time, right? There's just too much adrenaline. There's too much um, stress and cortisol. So it's about allowing their bodies. So giving them that safe space at home where um, they can just relax. And and it can be hard, but it's about finding a way to do that. Um, you know, working with your child, trying to find things that they do that might trigger you as a parent who has ADHD. And so maybe as a parent journaling every night for a few seconds to see, and it's a hard thing for parents to do every single day, maybe do it every few days, but trying to find, um, try to journal and write about what you can do that can help your child, right? Where they can, you can go through patterns and see, okay, you know, they did this and that's what triggered me and maybe we can work on that later. So looking at patterns and that's really what functional medicine does. It gives you the opportunity to just step back and reanalyze a lot of the things that's going on in your life where, you know, food has its purpose, sleep has its purpose, relationships. And so this is really where that comes in is like nurturing those relationships so that when that stress level is low in the body, 
it allows those nutritionally you know superior foods to help really heal the body and and reduce inflammation you can provide your child with the best diet but if their body is is in a state of stress and fight and flight it doesn't matter because their body is constantly just on edge and and it can't bring those inflammation levels down and so everything has a purpose but if you can try to bring all of those things together and helping them with that, it really, really helps. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just thinking when you talk about the connection side, like I know, I see, I see it, you know, when we've had a crazy few days and my husband and I have been flying in and out the house and taking this one here and the other one there and we've not sat down as a family and all of that, I can see like things start getting a bit frayed. I see behavior and I see anxiety and I see then the opposite if we've had days like where it's been more calm and relaxed and we've had time to sit and I've been able to sit and read my daughter's story and have a cuddle and chat. Like I feel better. Like I just, you know, love that that kind of connection time and that calm time and it allows me to have perspective on things. And, you know, it, again, because I've got ADHD, I'm always thinking about the next thing, the next thing. And I'm always pulling myself back, like pulling myself back to the present of wanting to achieve and do and produce and actually my daughter is getting older and older and all I want to do is just kind of like have time with her and sit with her and talk to her and that now has become more of a priority of when I'm not working like just those 10 minutes can be a huge thing like sitting around the table and having a conversation with my kids you know instead of being like clock watching and like oh I need to get to a meeting or I need to do this I'm like now, no, Kate, stay, stay here in the present because before you know, this is all going to go and your kids are going to, you know, leave home. And so it is, it's like, it's this constant balance. But what I think what you said was that, that pause, that step back, this noticing, and it's constantly sort of like tweaking and changing and, and um, adding things and taking things away and just having a, having the knowledge that it's okay when things go a bit, you know, off, yeah. off schedule, but we can pull things back. Uh, so I, I really appreciate everything you said. I think it's such great practical advice. Um, and I think it'll be, you know, hugely helpful for people who are navigating all of this, you know, they may be navigating it for their kids for a while, but now they've got more of an understanding for them. So can you tell people how they can work with you? What, what, you know, resources you've got available? Um, cause I know that a lot of people probably would be interested. Yeah, I actually have a free guide that I offer, which helps parents with hyperactivity. And that's, I think, one of the main um, concerns that I that I hear a lot of um, for parents with younger children. And so it's on my website, which is momentasaleemcoaching.com. And they can reach me through Instagram, which is, again, momentasaleemcoaching. And, um, yeah, DM me, email me. I'm always there to listen. I also have a podcast if they want some more information about, um, you know, just more function medicine paradigm, not just for ADHD, we look into other areas as well. Um, it's called Helping Children Thrive. And so I think that that it gives so many resources and, and such a extensive list of things that they can do. And so it's a great starting jumping point for a lot of parents. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to be definitely giving that a listen. So thank you so much for that. Um, and yeah, and I hope to speak to you very soon. I think this has been a really, um, really helpful conversation. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I hope you found what you were looking for in this conversation and it's helped guide you towards some further self-healing, self-exploration 
and most importantly, self-acceptance. And if you have enjoyed this conversation and would like to experience more of my work, such as access to exclusive live workshops and opportunities for group coaching sessions, connecting with other like-minded women, and a general feeling of belonging, please come and check out my monthly membership, the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Collective. I've made it as affordable as possible, and I offer you lots of resources and opportunities for connection and support from other women all around the world being diagnosed with ADHD later on in life. I'd absolutely love to see you there. All the details are in this episode's show notes or on my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk. See you in the next episode.